היי, you're listening to On Israel, על מוניטור's פודקאסט from תל אביב, I'm בן כספית. The commander of the Israeli army, General Aviv Kochavi, poured fuel last week on the simmering Israeli-American tensions left over from the previous Democratic President, Barack Obama. Kochavi blasted the agreement Obama signed with Iran, saying it could have enabled Iran to build a nuclear bomb. Under no circumstances, Kochavi said, should the U.S. return to that agreement or accept cosmetic changes only to that deal. Kochavi warned that Israel could still decide to attack Iran's nuclear infrastructure, saying he had instructed the military to prepare additional operational plans in case Israel is forced to do it alone. Kochavi's comments blindsided Israel's top brass and top Biden administration officials, coming as they did at such sensitive timing in the fledgling relationship between Washington and Jerusalem. His bold statement was perceived as a challenge to the new administration, even as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was trying to establish a dialogue and maybe an intimate relationship with Biden and his people. Stoking the fires with Biden's foreign boss, uh, Obama, was not part of Netanyahu's game plan. Kochavi's motive puzzled many Israeli security officials, especially since he spoke shortly before hosting the first visit by CENTCOM, CENTCOM Commander General Kenneth McKenzie at the IDF headquarters in Tel Aviv. Kochavi's warnings awakened the demons of the stormy eight-year relationship between Netanyahu and Obama, including their head-on collision over the agreement signed in 2015 between the U.S., its allies, and Iran. The crash caused significant damage to both sides, but Israel paid a heavier price. Netanyahu undoubtedly agrees with Kochavi's views, but will he choose to confront the Biden administration right away to prevent it from going back to the deal with Iran, or will he make a sincere effort to turn the page and try to exert influence on the crucial decision from within? Will Netanyahu try to harness President Biden as an asset ahead of the March 23rd elections by telling voters that only he, Netanyahu, can stand up to a democratic American president under the influence of an anti-Israeli forces? Or will he try to forge a real partnership with the leader of the free world? What lies ahead for the sensitive Washington-Jerusalem axis And how will it affect the Middle East, Israel, and its many allies in the region? Our guest today was the first ambassador Netanyahu appointed to the U.S. after returning to office in 2009. Michael Oren served in that role for long and particularly tough years, facing a hostile administration and experiencing frequent and ongoing crises between the sides. Oren, a New York State native, is a historian and writer. He served as a member of Knesset, deputy minister, and as a research fellow at the Shalem Center in Jerusalem. He was there in the innermost sanctums. He knows the ins and outs of Israeli and American diplomacy and has seen the leaders of Israel and of the United States at some of their toughest moments. Dr. Michael Oren will join us right after a short commercial break. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I have the pleasure to say hello and shalom to Dr. Michael Oren, uh, previous ambassador of Israel in the uh, United States in Washington. How are you, Michael? And thank you for joining us here. I'm great, Ben. Good to be with you. Thank you. Let's uh, dive into business, uh, Ambassador uh, Dr. Oren. Let's start with a general question. What are the chances, in your opinion, that Netanyahu and Biden can turn a new page given the bitter eight-year history of the U.S.-Israel relationship under Obama, uh, four of them uh, you were a witness of. What do you think? I think that uh, eventually the answer is yes. Uh, There there are certainly going to be some residual resentments and and concerns on both sides. Uh, This was uh, during the the Obama years. it It was a very difficult period, and I won't name attempt to sort of, you know, whitewash it or sugarcoat it. It was a very tough period um, on on multiple levels, on the Palestinian issue, certainly on the Iran issue. Um, The two governments really went uh, head to head on it. Um, And there was no sort of personal love lost between uh, Netanyahu and Obama. There was always a very good relationship between Netanyahu and Biden. And speaking personally, during the years where Hillary Clinton, the secretary of state, basically boycotted the Israeli embassy in Washington, uh, my major point of contact in the administration was Joe Biden. So I got to spend a lot of quality time with him and with his staff, including uh, Tony Blinken, who's now the Secretary of State and was then his his chief diplomatic advisor. Keep in mind that uh, as much as everyone knows that Joe Biden is not Donald Trump, neither is he Barack Obama. He doesn't uh, approach the the Israel and Middle Eastern issues from a very emotional place, from an ideological place. He's, he's a foreign policy realist. But there will be differences of policy. Yes, on the Palestinian issue. Um, but I think first and foremost on the Iran issue, including the, the often repeated commitment of this administration, both before and after the elections, um, to seek a way of renewing uh, the 2015 yes. Iran nuclear deal, we which dive, Prime we, Minister... We will dive into these specifics uh, shortly, but uh, I think, first of all, you, you say there is a good chance for a new page or, or a restart of the relationship, and I know you've been there and saw it all, including the disastrous visit of uh, Vice President Biden to Jerusalem, I think in 2010, when when he was there in, in Israel, or here, uh, we should say, there was an announcement about a new uh, a 1600 uh, new units in Eastern Jerusalem, and it was it was a real disaster, and you had to work a lot, uh, very hard, 
to, to, to fence or mend the, the, this wound and you succeeded. So there is a chance, you say. Yeah, sure there is. And it was, it was a difficult incident in 2010. I still have the white hairs from it, you should know. Um, but it's also interesting to note that while we were able to work out a quick resolution with the vice president, it was only when the vice president returned to Washington that the White House actually picked a fight over it. It was, a, I, I, to my mind, a sort of a more artificial uh, crisis that was created. So it wasn't really Biden behind the crisis. It was his boss. It was uh, President Obama. Um, Biden was perfectly willing to let you know bygones be bygones about it. We had a, we had a good send off if it was all over. Um, so I think that you know, here's a person who who knows Israel very well. He's he's had a a 50 year relationship with this country. Um, his supporters uh, among his supporters are are, are outspoken uh, pro Israel advocates. Um, and again, he's not coming at us or to this issue from a deeply ideological place. I think it comes from a, from a place of genuine concern, but there will be policy differences. For example, I can, uh, I think you know, but we just heard that uh, the president nominated in a, in a Palestinian born America named Maher Bitar uh, to be the, the, the director of intelligence in the National Security Council and I think was previously, uh, this guy worked in UNRWA. And I think if I imagine whatever is going on in the prime minister chambers in Jerusalem now is uh, what is going on here? Well, I, I, I don't know this individual. I think that the person who's in charge of intelligence in the NSC is not a person who's going to bring his politics to it. He's in charge of analyzing intelligence. Um, and I think it's going to be a cold analysis. I think there's probably more, more concern here about the appointment of Robert Malley as the special envoy. Uh, for Iran. Um, and maybe you're going to ask me about that next, because I know Rob quite well and an intensely intelligent person, capable person, but one with whom the state of Israel has had um, some some friction and sometimes some very marked friction in, in, in the past. And as Israel is trying to um, hopefully receive signals from Washington that its concerns about the Iran deal will be taken uh, to heart, um, Rob's appointment to that very, very sensitive position is not likely to in any way, uh, you know, dispel our concerns or ease our anxieties, it will probably arouse them. Okay, so now I want, I want to, uh, uh, you to comment, uh, if it's possible, about the, the, the chief of staff, the Israeli chief of staff remarks, General Kohavi, last week, that caused uh, some damage uh, in the early days of the relationship when both sides are still putting uh, out uh, feelers uh, to each other I do, do you think they were uh, perceived in Washington? I mean, when uh, General Kohavi said that the, 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 the nuclear agreement with Iran was very bad, there is no way uh, you can go back to it and emphasizing again the military uh, option of Israel, et cetera, et cetera. And if you were now the, 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 the ambassador, the Israel ambassador in Washington, and uh, PM Netanyahu calls you back and, and asks you, uh, uh, ambassador, ambassador Oren, what advice can you give me? One advice in order to fix all of this and start from the beginning, what, what would, you, would you say to him? I would say that, uh, and here I'm gonna give you a rather controversial uh, response then. I, I think that politically I'm, I'm, I'm very much a centrist, uh, but on the Iran deal, uh, I have a very adamant position. And I think that in 2015 and in, in the period leading up to the Iran deal, um, it, there, were, there are elements of the American leadership that were able to sort of pick out uh, leaders in the Israeli defense establishment who would come out in support of the agreement. 
And that very much sort of undermined our case there. Um, and it's important that today, as the United States considers whether to go back into that agreement, uh, that Israel that Israel presents a united front, that, that, that no one can intercede or in, uh, between uh, our defense and, and political echelon. And so I was very supportive of Aviv Kohavi, uh, General Kohavi's remarks saying, you know, unequivocally, you should know, the United States, you, Americans should know that if you renew the JCPOA, you'll be putting uh, Israel and the Middle East on a war footing. And, and I think it's important that we say that because it's true, we will be on a war footing. And I think it's important that he says that the JCPOA is, is a bad agreement because it's a terrible agreement. And I don't think any, I don't think there's anything wrong with the, the chief of staff whose duty it is to protect this country, to ensure our defense, to say such things. I think it's part of his fiduciary duty. Um, and I know he came into a lot of criticism, but I, I was actually kind of relieved that someone came out and said this. You know, in Israel, I, I, there was, there used to be a, a big insurance company that its slogan was, when you're driving, don't be right, be smart. Maybe, right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I'm referring to General Kohavi, and I, I hear you. I hear what you say, and actually, I I don't think you're very wrong. But why say this one week after the new administration is into office, two days before the commander of CENTCOM is coming to his first visit in the in the IDF? You are his host. Why going public when you know that the prime minister is considering going intimate and try to, to learn first and, and maybe restart what we're just talking about for, for the 10 minutes. So maybe, maybe it was not smart enough. Uh, I, I, I think, it, I think it, was, it, was, it was justified and I think it's actually important. I understand it was controversial. You know, I published an article uh, last week in the Atlantic Monthly, which is a sort of left of center, very important magazine in the United States about the Iran deal, where I set out Israel's case there. And I also in this article said, you should know, you Americans should know that if you do this deal, we're going to be on a war footing because under the JCPOA, Iran will get a nuclear weapon. We in Israel will try to stop it. And when we do, the Iranians and their proxies will fire tens of thousands of rockets at us. And we're going to have a regional war. Now, it's very important that that case be set out because, believe me, in America, nobody knows that. Even our friends in the United States don't know this. And it's, it's a crucial fact. Um, and I do think that there is a good agreement out there. I think that, that our, our considerations can be met in a renewed agreement. Uh, but if we are not expressed and unequivocal uh, about our interests and fears, then we can't expect them to be met. It's not a secret, uh, Ambassador Oren, that in the, in the Obama days, and especially when uh, the negotiation was on with the Iran, Israel was not, was not in the room, what we say. Uh, there, there may be the personal relationship between the president and the prime minister. I, I don't know why, but we were out. We could not influence uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the intelligence, etc. And so I want to ask you, as, as a person that knows very well the, 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 all these materials, what format would you adopt regarding attempts to this, this time influence the Americans in the Iranian issue? Can Israel establish a strong Middle Eastern alliance with the Sunni states and present itself to Washington as its leader? Or is there a way to convince the president that he should consult us before and not after, by the way, I think the, the new Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, said, I think it was in the hearing, 
that this time we will consult our allies in the taking off, not in the landing process. So do you think, do you find it uh, encouraging? Yeah, I thought it was very encouraging. And, and, and Tony Blinken has said several things. Uh, in addition to that, he said that there are a number of ifs surrounding the uh, the JCPOA that, that America has to answer. And that's good too. No, one, no one's rushing headlong into this. That's our hope. Listen, I participated in nearly five years of, of secret negotiation at the highest level uh, with our American counterparts. And, um, you know, the format was there. The problem was that behind that format, there was another format that we didn't know about and which the Americans didn't tell us about and, and which they denied was actually taking place. And then when that format became public, uh, the United States didn't tell us accurately what its position was in the negotiations. They misled us as to the content. So we're beginning this process with a tremendous deficit of trust and credibility. I understand that that trust was, was, was damaged on both sides. But since there are many people in this administration, uh, not Tony Blinken, but uh, Jake Sullivan, uh, Bill Burns, now the head of the, uh, the CIA, the, the Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, these are people who actually conducted these negotiations with the Iranians, then I think, frankly, the burden of proof is on the United States to prove that this time uh, they won't negotiate behind our back, that we will be taken into consideration. And one of the ways I think we can, we can strengthen our position is by uniting with our new Arab allies uh, who have every bit as much to fear from Iran as we do, uh, and maybe even more, uh, and to show the United States that the people who will be most impacted who have the most to lose from the JCPOA must be consulted. And we are America's allies. There was much talk in previous years of how America betrayed its allies. Um, I don't know whether America betrayed its allies in the last few years, but they definitely betrayed their allies in the JCPOA. And here's a chance to restore uh, that trust, to restore American credibility. And I think if America does restore that trust, then America's power in the Middle East and beyond the Middle East will be greatly enhanced. You know, uh, last week I spoke on this podcast with the former Israeli Consul General Danny Dayan, and he said something inter interesting. I wonder if you agree. He thinks Biden would be more of a Clinton toward Israel than an Obama, even though most of his uh, senior appointments, like you just said, are former Obama administration officials. Do you agree with this assessment? After all, you are very familiar with the past relations between Netanyahu and uh, Biden and Netanyahu and Obama. I, I think that Danny is absolutely right um, that, uh, as I said earlier, that Joe Biden is not Donald Trump, but neither is he Barack Obama. He doesn't come uh, at our issues. He doesn't approach our issues from a deeply ideological place. Um, he's not emotionally caught up in the Palestinian issue. And frankly, he's not invested in the Iranian nuclear deal to the degree that, that Obama was. Um, moreover, uh, Joe Biden, like Bill Clinton, belongs to that generation that remembers the Six-Day War. Uh, it remembers the 73 War. It's, a, it's a, that generation, as we say, that has Israel in its heart. Um, Barack Obama was much younger. I uh, really didn't remember much of the Six-Day War. And, uh, and, and that is why I think he's much more, Biden's more Clintonian than he is Obamian uh, in his relationship with Israel. And I think that's a, that's a big plus for us. I want to ask, because it was very interesting what you just said, I want to ask you a follow-up questions not exactly connected to this podcast. Are you concerned as, a, as an Israeli, as a Native American, as a Jew, that we are losing this uh, generation, the generation that knew not only the Six-Day War and the 73, the Yom Kippur War, but the Holocaust as well? 
among Americans and most and among American Jews that I don't feel so close that they used to the sons and the, and the, and the grandsons of of, the, of this generation is not very close or intimate with Israel. And, and the answer is yes, I do fear. If you look at the statistics, um, a significant majority of American Jews view Israel as an important part of their identity, and that the loss of Israel would be would be a personal catastrophe for that catastrophe for them. But if you look more closely at those surveys, you see that the numbers of people who, who cared passionately about Israel go down very sharply the younger uh, the respondents are. And certainly goes down even further if, if, the, if the respondents are not particularly religious, if they don't have affiliations um, and have never been to Israel. And that's a great number of young American Jews. So the answer is yes. There's a certain amount of discomfort believe it or not, with the Holocaust, saying, you know, that the Jews suffered more than African-Americans or Latinos or Native Americans, uh, that discomfort, um, and, and just general lack of knowledge about the state of Israel that people don't know. There's also um, historical currents in America that have nothing to do with us, but impact us. Um, an article appeared in The New Yorker this week, Ben, uh, which I thought was very significant. It was the first in The New Yorker, which is a, a very highbrow uh, um, a journal I, I used to read it cover to cover. This article described Israel not as an apartheid state, but as a Jewish supremacy state. If you can say anything worse than, than apartheid today is Jewish supremacy, which is like white supremacy, but Jewish. And so there's a, there's a is a process not just of alienization, but of, of very rapid delegitimization, which is going on and making Israel beyond the pall. That's among progressives. So even young American Jews who, you know, maybe not know much about Israel, don't feel particularly close to Israel, are going to be exposed on a massive scale uh, to that type of delegitimization, both in the media uh, and on their campuses, certainly. Um, and that is something that Israel has going to have to take into consideration that it, to the degree that we can. I don't think we should endanger ourselves in order to make ourselves more acceptable. But I think that when we do make decisions, for example, whether or not to annex part of Judea and Samaria, we could take, we should take the ramifications of that decision for American Jews into consideration. I almost regret I asked this question because now I'm not uh, more worried that, than I was before, but let's move, uh, we are almost out of time. Let's move to, uh, to politics. And I want to, to ask you, uh, did Israel's a total identification with the Republicans over the last four years and maybe eight years caused strategic damage to the Israel-U.S. relationship and to relations with the Democratic Party. What uh, would you do to fix the, the, this damage? Well, to put my cards on the table, you know, um, though I worked with Netanyahu uh, for many years and I have great respect for him, I, I opposed his speech to Congress in 2015. Uh, I'm not sure he ever forgave me <laughs> for that, uh, for that precise reason. Mm -hmm. You're in a good company and never forgave a lot of guys that did not support this. Uh, this yeah, but I was particularly, you know, I, was, I was, I think, probably more problematic for him as someone who had been his ambassador. And the reason I didn't support it was not because what he said in the speech. I thought it was one of his greatest speeches. It was where he gave it. And, uh, and that speech had the impact of sort of making it more personal between, uh, between him and Obama rather than about the JCPOA. Um, and I know for a fact in Washington today, uh, members of Congress have never forgotten that speech or forgiven it. And, um, and I think that uh, 
I don't think that Israel could have turned its back on Donald Trump when he was doing so many amazing things for us, from you know recognizing Jerusalem and the Golan Heights as Israeli sovereignty and pulling out of the JCPOA and 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 coming down hard on on the Palestinians, and I think putting out a peace program program which is one of the best I've ever seen, and I've. You know, I was an advisor to Yitzhak Rabin. I've been in this business for a very long time. It was one of the best peace process uh, proposals I've ever seen. Did a lot. I don't think we, we could have done anything other than to say thank you. Uh, what we didn't do, Ben, is that at the same time, we did not reach out in a very concerted and strategic way to the Democrats to say, okay, you know, we have a relationship with this administration, but we haven't forgotten you and we appreciate you. And bipartisan support is a national strategic interest for the state of Israel, and we're willing to do anything to, to uphold it. Uh, I want to ask you a difficult, uh, maybe a tricky question. What do you think about Gilad Erdan's dual appointment as Israel's ambassador to the UN and to Washington? Uh, ambassador Dermer is supposed to leave uh, uh, within a few months. Can it undermine attempts to create an in, uh, intimate channel of communications between the two capitals and to strengthen uh, the ties between them, especially in this crucial, difficult time? Well, I think he's going to have a, a tremendous challenge, <laughs> Gilad Erdan. Um, it can be done. And Abba Eben, uh, during the 1950s, was our ambassador both to Washington and to the UN. So there's, there's certainly a, uh, there's a precedent for it. And uh, the UN, it is not a particularly difficult position, just it, it, it meets basically for three months every year, and you give a couple of speeches. You don't have to be there every day unless you want to use that position as a platform in the media, in which case it can be used very, very effectively. And there have been several ambassadors, as you know, like, like Danny Gillerman, who, who used that platform uh, to great impact in terms of public opinion and reaching out to various communities. Um, in Washington, Washington position, uh, by contrast, is more than a full-time job. There's no vacations. There's no weekends. It's, it's pretty much 24-7 uh, if you want to do it right. Uh, that means being in Congress. It means being, you know, reaching out to the African-American community, Latino community. It means traveling around the United States, a tremendous amount of work. Um, it depends on what Gilad wants to make of it. If he wants to put that type of effort into it um, and, and only that effort, then I think he can make uh, a significant contribution. I think at the same time, uh, because he comes from the political echelon and not from the diplomatic world, uh, the prime minister will naturally try to seek a personal connection. Um, with the president and with his major advisors, and the prime minister will use his personal advisors, like Yossi Cohen, the head of the of the uh, of the Mossad, uh, Mayor Ben Shemat, the the national security advisors. He will conduct the maximum amount of diplomacy himself or through his immediate advisors, and not through the embassy in Washington. Finally, Ambassador Oren, do you uh, foresee a renewed American attempt to mediate, uh, mediate in the Israeli-Palestinian peace process, or will Biden be too busy with other issues, and will he learn the lesson of Obama, who spent eight fatal and frustrating years on this issue? I think he's going to think many times before being involved in that again. Um, right now, he really doesn't have a Palestinian leadership to work with. Uh, Abu Mazen is old. He's, he's, he doesn't have a lot of legitimacy. He's on, what is he, like the 14th or 15th year of his four-year term. Uh, not much to work with there. And on the Israeli side, um, you don't really have an Israeli peace uh, party even running in the election. You have very, very small parties. Most of the, elect most of the parties are running from the, from the right of center. 
So it was not a particularly auspicious uh, time to be seeking to renew the peace process. I think that this administration is going to try to maintain the status quo to say, uh, let's not have any major changes um, in the field in reality, which is sort of code for no big settlement projects. Most of that, um, most of that will fall on us. And um, while I don't think the administration will condemn Israeli settlement building either in Judea and Samaria or in Jerusalem, the way Obama did, which was quite heavy, um, I, if it comes to the Security Council, Ben, and the United States has to decide whether to cast a veto on a, the resolution condemning us, I'm not sure they will. Interesting. So actually you're, you're saying or hinting that they will spend the, the energy on keeping the, the two-state solution idea alive, but they will not try to promote it too heavily. And you're not, you, you cannot uh, safeguard the, the, the possibility that they will veto everything. I, 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 yes, you got it right. I don't think so. I think if Israel announces a major, uh, you know, if it were to annex, uh, for example, part of the part of Judea and Samaria and it becomes a Security Council resolution, um, I, I'm not even sure that the administration wouldn't vote for it. Interesting. And finally, uh, the momentum between Israel and Sunni, uh, Muslim and Sunni and Arab states in the Gulf and Sudan, uh, everything that uh, President Trump was promoting with all its energy. Do you think that the Biden administration will go on with it or just, you know, look the other way? I think they'll go on with it, but just not with all their energy. There's a natural tendency for any new administration to try to distinguish itself from the previous administration. In Washington, we called it the A-B approach. So Obama came in, it was anything but Bush. And then Trump came in, it was anything but Obama. And now Biden's going to be, he's coming in, it's going to be anything but Trump. And while I don't think they're, they're going to, certainly not going to object that process, I don't think they're going to put their whole weight behind it, certainly not the way that Trump did. Um, and uh, if, 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 this, if the alliances expand, I think, They'll expand not because of the United States support for the alliances, but because of Iran, a renewal of the Iran nuclear deal, which will force additional Arab states to bind together with us against Iran. And if the United States continues its process of pulling out from the Middle East and leaving the area in, 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 in the hegemony of the, the Iranians, the Turks and the Russians, again, there'll be Arab states who want to join this alliance, join with Israel, because we'll be the state that'll be most uh, capable and willing to, to stand up for our common interests. Ambassador Dr. Ambassador Dr. Michael Oren, it was very interesting. I thank you very much uh, for talking to us here in, uh, on Israel Al Monitor's podcast. And uh, we will now get to another short break and be right back with some final thoughts. Thank you again to that, Michael. Shalom. Thank you, Shalom. Thank you, Ben. Care. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. 
You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Well, it was a very interesting uh, conversation with the previous ambassador, Israeli ambassador to uh, Washington, Dr. Uh, Michael Oren. And he thinks that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, President Biden can open a new page in their relationship. They can restart it after all the disasters that happened on this uh, uh, axis between Washington and Jerusalem in the Obama years. Uh, he, he tells us, uh, Ambassador Oren, that when he was in the embassy between 2009 and 2013, then Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton, part of the time, was boycotting the Israeli embassy and his fallback position, his savior, w- was from time to time Vice President Joe Biden. He, he agrees with what, uh, what told us here uh, uh, the, the week before, Consul General Danny uh, Dayan that called uh, uh, President Biden more Clinton than, uh, than Obama. Ambassador Oren thinks the same. Uh, President Obama is a Clintonian, he says, not an Obamian. And he, he, tells, he says that it's interesting because Biden belongs to the generation that remembers the Six Days War, the Yom Kippur War, maybe even the Holocaust. He feels a lot closer to Israel uh, from the heart. And he, he declared himself as a Zionist. So there is what to expect in this, uh, in this issue. I was surprised to hear that uh, Ambassador Oren supports the remarks of the Chief of Staff, General Aviv Kohavi last week. He thinks that Kohavi said the truth. The, the, the nuclear agreement between Iran and the superpowers is bad. Israel has to state it. Everyone in Washington and Israel's allies has to know it. And General Kohavi did the right thing. So, uh, and he thinks also that uh, the relationship between Israel and the Democratic Party can be fixed. He did not support, when he was, uh, when he was the ambassador, he did not support the, the speech, the famous speech that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu gave the Congress in 2015. He thought it caused a lot of damage to the bipartisan uh, support of Israel in the House, but uh, it can be fixed and it will be done. I hope it was interesting. See you next week on Monday here in On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspi. Take care. Bye bye. Across California, school food professionals are using their skills to develop recipes that incorporate fresher ingredients and more scratch cooking. Learn how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.